Hello and welcome to The Church in Action. This week we're starting a two-part series on worship with Becca Mowry, Worship Director of Walnut Hill Community Church in Connecticut. We hope you enjoy. Making disciples is the primary mission of the church and God uses the spiritual disciplines to transform our hearts to be like Jesus is, a disciple. This week, my guest is Becca Mowry, Worship Director at Walnut Hill Community Church, a multi-site church in Southwestern Connecticut. And we're talking with her about the spiritual disciplines of worship and celebration. Hi, I'm Charles Galda, President of Vision New England, and your host for The Church in Action. Becca, thanks for being with us. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's a real honor to be on your show. Thanks. And so for folks who don't know you and don't know Walnut Hill, could you kind of give us a little bit of snapshot about your background in Walnut Hill? Absolutely. So I'm the Worship and Arts Director at Walnut Hill Community Church. It's in Western Connecticut, just outside the Danbury area. And we're a multi-site church. We have uh, three other locations outside of our main location, which is in Bethel. So yeah, I'm the Worship and Arts Director. I've been in this position now for almost seven years, I think six years. And before that, I was with our Connections Ministry in Hospitality. So it's been a phenomenal journey. I love what I do. My passion is to really uh, invest into teams and build up teams and our worship community, creating a great culture there. So it's been a wonderful job. And you're also a member of, a member of the board of Vision New England, and you're also one of the key leaders behind a group we have for worship leaders and pastors in New England too. For, so thanks for serving those ways too. Yeah, absolutely. So Becca, we've been saying, you heard a little bit of it in the intro, we've been saying God uses the spiritual disciplines to transform our hearts to be like Jesus is and retrains our bodies to react the way our transformed heart wants to. Do you, uh, so do you agree with that formulation? Does that work for you or would you add to it or change some things? Yeah. So as I've thought about this question, it, it's a great question, Charles, because obviously discipleship is a huge topic right now and spiritual disciplines are part of that. Um, so as I thought about, I love how you ask if we agree or not agree with this <laughs> statement. And I'm, I'm going to say that I somewhat agree with this statement. And okay. And I say that because I really believe that it's not the spiritual disciplines that are going to change our lives and really transform us. It's abiding in Christ that transforms our hearts. It's abiding in him. It's through the encounters that we have with Jesus. It's through that pressing in and that personal interaction um, that really changes our lives. It's Jesus who changes our lives, not the disciplines that we can do. And so I say partially, I agree with that because I believe the disciplines, the disciplines can become a track. Uh, they can become a tool that lead us to the abiding. But if the disciplines alone without a heart to abide, without a heart to be with Jesus, I think that they could actually become a little bit legalistic. Yeah. Um, in, in some way where uh, we can feel good about ourselves because we fasted and we prayed and um, we've read our Bible and we practiced all these various things, but yet maybe we leave unchanged. And so, um, yeah, so I, I kind of somewhat agree with that statement. I, well, I think it's a really important nuance to tease out because mm -hmm. I'd agree with you. The discipline itself is not what's transforming our hearts. Yes. It's putting us in God's presence Yes. Right. Because yes. you can do Bible study. And as one person said, and it can be all about information and not yes. transformation. Yes. And I actually believe that um, we we maybe have misled a little bit of the church in that way, because we have these theologies and these principles and these beliefs that we say, hey, we all adhere to this. Correct. Yes, we all adhere to this. So one of them being you know, we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yes, we believe this is one of our theological, 
you know, like uh, under like foundational beliefs that we need to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So we believe it, but do we have it? Yeah, I think I think I've I've become much more attuned in the last year to there are things that we profess to believe. Yes. That we don't really believe. Yes. And so James and I'd argue, but James always gets called out on it. But Paul and Jesus said the exact same thing. It's what's reflected, yeah. what you actually do that matters. Yes. So I can say I believe I need to love God with all my heart. I, I can say I believe I need to serve others and consider others better than myself and right, but yeah. and, and love us. But if my life doesn't reflect that, I don't really believe it. Yes, exactly. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And so I think with the spiritual disciplines, we need to come with that heart of the reason I'm doing this is to meet you, Jesus. Yeah. I want to abide in you more. And so then they become extremely helpful, very practical ways to help us continually abide in Christ. Yeah, I think Moses uh, goes into the tent of meeting in Exodus 34, and he comes out visibly transformed. Mm -hmm. To say it's the disciplines transforming us would be say, well, walking into the tent is what transformed Moses, right. Right? and it's not. He abided in the presence of God, and he yes. was visibly transformed. Yes. And I always love, and I've really been focused on it lately, as Paul talks about in Corinthians, now we with unveiled faces mm -hmm. are being transformed because yeah. Paul is, it's inconceivable to Paul that we're not doing these things. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, imitate me just like I imitate Christ. Right. He's he's living his yeah. way in all these disciplines that Jesus did. And it's transformed him. And his point is, OK, so do what I do. Yeah. Right. right? Yeah. And and so, OK, so that's that's these parts. So what is a spiritual yeah. discipline then? So what I would say as a spiritual discipline, I know that um, uh, you guys quote Dallas Willard a lot. And I think he has a great description, but I would even simplify it a little bit more. I would I would say that. A spiritual discipline, they're just things that we see in scripture that promote and produce the fruit of the spirit in our lives. And um, I, I think the fruit of the spirit is really key because these are things that we cannot produce on our own. We cannot grow our own fruit, but through our abiding, that's a natural outcome of our walk with Jesus. Um, and so there are things that we see Jesus model. There are things that uh, were called to um, by the Apostle Paul and the things that we see in the disciples' lives that um, really promote and produce uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. It's kind of the simplest form that I would say. Yeah, and I remember talking to, I don't know if you knew uh, Pastor Roberto Miranda, but he was uh, a fairly, a very influential pastor in New England who passed mm -hmm. away last year. Um, and I remember him sitting down, we're talking about what was what we were seeing people doing, believers doing in the pandemic. And his question was, where's the fruit of the spirit? Yes. Right. And so so yeah. we're getting stuck, not being transformed, not exhibiting the fruit of the yeah. spirit, because my my theory is because most of us don't know it's the disciplines that the Holy Spirit is using to transform us. Yeah. Right. That creates that space, as you were saying. Most of us don't know that. And then most of us don't do the. Uh, we, uh, don't do this the few spiritual disciplines we think of as disciplines yeah and i would say too like i i think people end up petering out and they get frustrated mm -hmm. and they give up on these things because they're doing them for the sake of of obedience but not abiding and yeah. so you know i can pray but if i don't experience the peace and the presence of jesus through a prayer life I'm going to give up on it. And honestly, what's the purpose of it? You know, I, I can study the Bible. I can read my Bible. But if 
if I'm not at the end of the day experiencing the joy that brings us strength in the Lord, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If we're not experiencing that, what's the purpose of it? And ultimately, our flesh will fail us. We are not going to be able to continue out doing these things day after day in and out. We will live an absolutely fruitless life that is sad and depressing to be honest. But when we do it and the fruit of the spirit is grown in our lives, who doesn't want love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the things that the world cannot offer that the world is so hungry for. It's so hungry for. So when we're able to practice these things and experience the fruit of the spirit in our lives, it's like um, it, 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 it wants us, it leaves us wanting more. Yeah. Being with Jesus always leaves us wanting more, not exhausted and wanting less. Yeah, there's, there's, you know, if we're going through the motions or doing it legalistically because Christians are supposed to have a devotional time yeah. and we're supposed to want to spend time with Jesus, if that's yeah. the way we're doing it, right, mm -hmm. we're no different than the Pharisees at the end of the day, who oh, they're righteous for these outward symbols that really yes. didn't get a transformation of the heart. Yes. Yes, 100%. Yeah. So the disciplines are helpful if we're looking at them to set us up in a posture of abiding with Christ. But in and of themselves, I don't I don't think that they shape us and they nourish us and they give us the life to the fullest that Christ has promised. So what would you say to somebody who is saying, okay, well, I hear what you're saying and I agree, but boy, my prayer life really does feel stuck, stale. I don't know what to do yeah. with it. Or or my, I, you know, I, re, I read the Bible, but I don't get anything out of it, right? Mm -hmm. what, yeah. what, would you, what are maybe some pointers you might say, hey, think about this or try this? Yeah. One, I would say persevere in some things. You know, I think we give up far too easily because we rely on our feelings. And in some ways, I think we think, oh, if I don't feel like doing it, there's not going to be a change in my life. Well, that's not true. Mm -hmm. That's absolutely not true. I don't know if I love watching TED Talks and there's a great TED Talk called Fake It Till You Make It. Okay. And she talked about the power of being able to, she was talking about confidence and stuff like that. But, you know, a part of me says, practice these things, step out in them, commit to them, invite the spirit to speak to you and you should experience life. Now, to your point about prayer, sometimes we are stuck, right? It's just like reading scripture and it's like, I can sit and think about the scripture all day long, but having commentary or having somebody else who's who's beyond me, who's gone farther down the road in this, speak into my life and illuminate some things of this passage. Oh my goodness, I come to life and I see things in a way that I never have before. I think the same thing is with prayer. Get a mentor, join a prayer group, take a prayer training class. I think with fasting, walk alongside people who have done this and, and learn how to do it with them. Become a disciple. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Paul uses the athletic metaphor all the time. And that's yes. what you're reminding me of, right? Yes. If I said to you, well, look, I really want to be a world-class skier and I want to go to the Olympics, mm -hmm. but practicing really doesn't work for me, yeah. right? Everybody's going to go, okay, exactly. well, you're an idiot, right? You're not going anywhere. Right. Right? But there's a bit of that that we do when we say, hey, look, I, right, prayer doesn't work for me. It's just, I give up, right? Yeah. And Bible, but I give it where it should really be. Well, let me try other things. Let me talk. To, yeah. We don't talk about this in my experience. Yes. I don't, yeah. I don't say my prayer life stinks. Right. And right. So, so talk about it openly mm -hmm. with people who can speak into it. 
Yes. I think that's the importance of having Christian community, people that you can be vulnerable with, that you can share your struggles with. It's the importance of mentors in your life, people that you look up to, that you can grow with. And to use your metaphor of skiing, you're not becoming an Olympic skier without a without a, an Olympic trainer. Yeah. It's, it's stuff I, and doing stuff I don't want to do. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, becoming an Olympic skier might mean you're also going to have a certain diet and you're going to have a certain workout routine and you're going to have a certain, your lifestyle is going to become extremely intentional around that goal and that regimen. And it will become extremely fruitful. And and that's the thing. We're not just doing this. um, It's not a drag. It is not a drag. It's an extremely fruitful. It is life to the fullest when we abide with Christ in this and we allow him to change our nature and to transform us through the disciplines of committing to abiding in Christ. That that coach or coaches or having other people in your life. I, I remember Chuck Swindoll one time talking about, I think it was him talking about a coach as someone who will make you do what you never wanted to do so you can become what you always wanted to be. Yes. Oh, right? I love that. That's a great definition. Absolutely. Right? And we need to apply that to our faith as well. Yep, completely agree. And so we see yep. more people talking about spiritual direction, but even just if it's not formal, just mentors, people in your life who are more advanced than you are, mm-hmm. who can help yep. you with these kinds of things. Yes. And people who are going to allow you to ask questions that mm. might seem a little bit unsafe. You know, yeah. I often say, and this is extre- this is particularly true with these younger generations, is that I think in the church, we have set our doctrine and set our way of life and set our belief system. And anybody who comes in and has a question is viewed as a heretic. Mm-hmm. And I think that we need to create spaces where people can wander around in their faith so yeah. they don't wander away from their faith. Yeah. And we're safe places where we're not threatened by questions. We're not threatened by doubt. You know, there's so much to say. Andrew Murray talks a lot. I'm reading his book um, right now called Abide, Abide in Christ. And he talks a lot about the power of doubt. If you don't have doubt, you are not learning. Doubt, it means that your mind is being activated and you're thinking on things and you're weighing things out. You're activating body, mind, and spirit. And so having these places and these people in your life where you can ask questions and you can explore, it creates a hunger and an eagerness. And so I think we need to be able to create those spaces for people as well. Yeah, I, I, that's a great point. And, and trying different things, right? Yes. My, our life looks different than it did 30 years ago. 100%. And I don't know that it will ever look like, I always think, you know, we set the high watermark of Susanna Wesley would pray two hours every morning or whatever. <laughs> With nine yeah. kids under her prayer blanket, yeah. right? Yeah. Just to get through the kids, she had, she needed two hours. But, but most of us, right? But when Jesus, when they said, how do you pray? Jesus didn't give us a two-hour prayer. Now, I'm not saying anything wrong against Susanna Wesley, but but I think we may set the wrong bars and we need to hear what other people's experiences are Yes. and say, hey, God made me different than so-and-so. What you're doing may actually work better for me and I need to try that. My Bible reading yeah. is different, right? I don't do the one-year yes. Bible anymore. I'm, I'm saying like a paragraph a day. I've really slowed down a lot. Yes. But with you know, commentaries into it and different translations and paraphrase it. Mm-hmm. And right. And, and it just, right. It just gets you thinking about it differently. Yes, and, absolutely. And, and there's that combination of things too. Let's not like make each one of these spiritual disciplines its own kind of little entity. So yeah. for example, when I, when 
like I have a burden to pray for someone on my heart, I will forget it. My mind is going 100 miles an hour. I've got a bunch of kids. I got a farm. I got a job that's full time. Like we I have a lot going on. If I want to pray, really earnestly pray for people, I will fast because my body will tell me all day long, you're hungry. Eat something. Eat something. You're hungry. You're hungry. Eat something. And every time I feel hungry, I pray. So Mm -hmm. fasting allows me to pray almost without ceasing because we realize how much how much we how much our body is always like bothering us, you know. Yeah, and the, the the one to avoid when you're looking for the people to speak in your life, I think there's the one to avoid is the one who I do this so you should do this. Oh, absolutely. Right, because we no, do have a tendency this transform. This was hugely different yeah. and so everybody now needs to do it. Yes. Right. And it's like, well, but, but everybody's different. And right. What 100%. works for me doesn't work for you. And and I think one of the things I've I've realized is the disciplines I need to do. There's some disciplines we all need to do, mm-hmm. but I may need to be fasting more than you need to fast mm. because it, it's trained your body. I remember one person or, or, or the spiritual discipline of silence. Right. If my issue is gossiping. Yeah. And I should be practicing the discipline of silence a lot. Yes. I need to train my body to sit quietly and not talk. Mm-hmm. And you may not need that one, but you might need the fasting because you need more reminders to pray than maybe I do, right? Or something like that. Yep. And so different mixes for different people and different issues. Yes, absolutely. Making allowances for each other. I think that's why Jesus came against the Pharisees so much. They had everything locked down Mm -hmm. and locked into a way that it had to be. And Jesus is like, "Mm, no, I'm going to shake things up here a little bit. And some of us would make really good Pharisees. We know each other well. Yes. So you know what oh, I yeah. mean, right? Let's I like be honest, Charles. Most Christians, right? most Christians make really good Pharisees, right? especially I, those I, of us who grew up in the church. Just, just tell me what to do, how to do it, <laughs> when to do it, right? And yes. I'm good, right? Yep. And, and yep. that was not Jesus's gospel. No. Oh, my goodness. No. He was always the, breaking out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And and so, so tell me, how, how do you think about what, how do you define worship and celebration? Are they two mm. different things? Are they the same thing? Mm. And how do you um, think about them as discipline? I think, I, th- I think they can be both. Am I answering these like a politician? Yes. <laughs> yes, they can be both. Um, I think when, when I think of worship, I would say that worship is an expression of our gratitude to the mm. Lord and worship is asserting worth to him. It's attributing worth to the Lord. That's that's what worship is. So we can do that through song. We can do that through giving. We can do that through the spiritual disciplines. We can do that through all sorts of things, but we are expressing our gratitude to the Lord. That's why we say giving is worship. Um, But when it comes to, you know, typically in the church, when we talk about worship, we're talking about worship music and we're talking about maybe the part of the sermon where we're singing. Um, So, yeah, I, I think that that's our expression of gratitude to the Lord. And I think um, to the point that we were talking about, uh, about becoming Pharisees, we can really become overly critical um, of the varied expressions of worship. You know, I hear, so we have contemporary worship at our church and, you know, sometimes you hear like, oh, it's just, it's just a big show. It's just a production. Why do we need lights? Why do we need, you know, haze and all this stuff? And then the younger generations will look at, you know, our more traditional service and be like, oh, it's so stoic. Nobody's like lifting their hands and nobody's ex- showing their emotion. At the end of the day, to me, it doesn't matter what form our our song and our worship expression takes place on the exterior. It really is, is your heart coming to express gratitude and assert worth to the Lord? And that's really what it's all about. 
Yeah, there's um, there's a tendency to what I like is morally better than what anybody <laughs> else would choose. <laughs> our preferences are often what what happens with our preferences is, is we like attribute moral worth and value to them, and, yeah. and that's not really how it works. Yeah. And that's not to say all all the music we sing in our churches sometimes is good or helpful. It's it's because mm -hmm. some of it is actually you and I've talked about this before. Some of it's like. Hey, this reinforces some bad themes, and occasionally there's songs that are out there that are they're popular and they're just bad theology. Yes. Um, oh, they're heretical. To be right. honest, some of yeah. them. I mean, some of them. I'm like, I'm sorry, we can't. We're not singing this song. This yeah. is actually not biblically sound. Yeah, and and there's a lot, and there's some even hymns that do this. I'm a hymn fan. Yeah. And so there there's even that sing in a consumer driven society, sing yes. a little too much about what I think and want. Yes. And what um, you're gonna gimme, 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 gimme. Right? Rather than asserting worth and expressing gratitude for who he is. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so I, and I, I love some of those old hymns and I love, I love hymns period. Right. But I love, uh, and I always joke, nothing magnifies the glory. We all know nothing magnifies the glory of God better than a 17th century hymn. We all, we just know that intuitively, <laughs> yeah. um, but there's a few of them. They're like, well, I don't right. As I really think about, listen to what those words are saying. Yeah. I'm not sure that's actually helpful to us. Yeah. In today's yeah. context, because we are in so much of a consumer society, mm -hmm. we've got to, and part of what I think the disciplines can be helpful is we've got to break ourselves out of the consumer mindset. Yes. Because you say we sit and talk about, you're, you criticize the different music styles. I'm like, I think we sit and talk about what you're wearing <laughs> <laughs> and how you moved and what you did with this and your yeah. guitar is too big and you should yeah. hold it that way, right? Yeah. Is, is because we're so, and oh, I'm putting it on TV now. Oh gosh. Right. It, it even does more because that's what we do is we sit in comparison. Critique, right? Yes, we observe. We're spectators right? rather than engagers. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, how and I, oh, so sorry, go ahead. No, go, go ahead, God. No, no, no. You asked your question. So, you talk about worship from yeah. what I perceive as an emotional perspective, mm. right? Something emotive. And I think mm -hmm. people think of it mm -hmm. that way. What do you say to people like uh, me who are on, lower on the emotional scale? Lower on the, you're not lower on the emotional skill. You just express it differently than me. I fluctuate in a very narrow band of emotion normally. <laughs> well, this is a great question. This is actually why I love I love worshiping through music. Because okay, so Berkeley, um, Berkeley School of Music, they did a study back in 2020, and it was a very subjective experience across all sorts of cultures. And they mapped out how when music is it engages the brain. So when it hits the brain, comes to our ears, and what it does is it lights up our limbic system. And our limbic system is what controls our emotions. And they actually mapped 13 different emotions that music can trigger in our bodies. And so when you think about um, kind of what we were talking about is how we have theologies and we have beliefs and, and we have core like truths, when we pair that up, so these things in our mind, which are held in a very different part of our brain. So when we pair up that truth with music, now what we've done is we have fully and more completely activated our body, body, mind, and spirit. And we are able to more wholeheartedly understand and grasp certain truths. So this idea that Christ died for my sins. Or John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him, they won't perish, but they'll have eternal life. We grew up memorizing that verse. Mm -hmm. And so there's so much power in that verse. Now you pair that 
with lighting up that limbic system in your brain, the way that God has designed us, and you pair the truth with the emotion, and all of a sudden it has a wholehearted meaning. So people who might have a hard time um, grasping the weight of Christ died for me. While I was still a sinner, he died for me. And you pair that up in the truth of music, and now you have more wholeheartedly grasped something, something that you believe, but now you can feel, you can feel it and you can sense it. And so the balance of them is very important, not just emotion, not just head knowledge, what worship music does, good theological worship music can pair the two of them together. And it can really bring alive scripture and understanding and theological concepts that might have always been here, but it moves it now to the heart. And, and it stays with us, as we know from Schoolhouse yes. Rock, right? And, <laughs> and, and the pastor was saying to me, I started, he started out, I said, okay, two all be patties, right? And then handed, and everybody in the audience could say exactly what came next, right? Yes, it, right? yes. So it, yeah, it stays yeah. with us in a way we don't always realize. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's stored in a different part of your brain. Now, you, you just made a good point, and you were saying, mentioning Dallas Willard before, and I've heard him say this about worship stuff, um, is leave aside for a second that most of us lay people have a little foggy theology around what's the difference between the body, the will, the heart, the mind, mm-hmm. the soul, the spirit. Mm-hmm. And But he would say it's the only discipline that encompasses all of us. Yes. And it so does. it's the points yeah. that you were just making. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think going back to what we were talking about, this whole idea of like, eh, I don't feel like it. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't feel like praying or fasting. I don't feel like singing today. Do it. Yeah. Do it. I'll often say, even sometimes to people, I'm like, you know what? Let's just hold our hands out in front of us as we worship. There's nothing magical about it. Yeah. But what you have done now is you have engaged your hands. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't like this song, Let's sing it. Engage yourself in a way into worship. Discipline yourself with this idea and with this belief and with faith, believing without seeing, with this faith that God is going to meet you in it. Thanks for listening to part one of our conversation on worship with Becca Mowry, worship director at Walnut Hill Community Church in Connecticut. This program is brought to you by our friends at the Louise Palau Association, who are dedicated to proclaiming the good news, uniting the church, and impacting cities worldwide. God bless you and thanks for listening. Join us next week for part two.